0: Hello folks. Uh, Welcome to another episode of the DevOps Diaries podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm your host Jack McCurdy at Gearset and today I am joined by Salesforce MVP, founder of Admin to Architect and co-founder of London's Calling, Francis Pindar. Francis, I'm really excited to have you on the podcast. Welcome.
1: Yeah, me too. Thanks for having me
0: you are very welcome you're very welcome i've kind of given you a little bit a little bit of a bio there and given (laughs) an introduction to you but why don't you why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself francis
1: yeah so i've been in the salesforce ecosystem probably about 14 15 years now um yeah kind of started off in consulting and then kind of jumped between consulting and and clients and, and throughout the years um, but now yeah i've kind of run admin to architect.com which is kind of a training company uh, and i've trained over 100,000 people in 160 countries salesforce and now i'm on a mission to move admins and developers down that architect track uh, and learning more about really kind of maximizing the value of the salesforce platform i also run so yeah, London's Calling that we do every year, um, which is in June the 9th, I think, uh, next year. So if you want to come along to that, that is a fab event. Uh, also, Salesforce Posse run a podcast uh, interviewing kind of you and other kind of uh, influential <laughs> thought leaders in the Salesforce ecosystem. And all about, you know, going to that kind of architecture uh, and understanding more about architect Salesforce architecture. So, yeah, all good.
0: Wonderful. It is nice to return the favor having been on Salesforce Posse earlier this year. So (laughs) excited to to have you back and have a little bit more of a discussion uh, about DevOps, which we already did at DevOps streaming, which you were kind enough to present for us there as well. And today, we're actually going to talk about an interesting topic and something that I think will help either anybody that is new to DevOps, maybe those admins and developers that that you train through yeah, to architect, for example, linking that to DevOps, Link, linking that to DevOps and helping folks understand a little bit more about the process and what that looks like. So mm. we're going to talk about talk about process mapping mainly. Um, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so so Francis, uh, why don't you why don't you start us off then with 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 that thinking about process mapping and what we're looking at? Yeah. When?
1: So when so when I kind of I started doing DevOps like several years ago, and it was really because I kind of got landed in this kind of world at this cl- customer or kind of working at this company where they were saying, you know, releases were going to take two months. Yeah. I wanted to create a report. Oh, no, it's got to go through the release process. And, you know, it's a highly regulated industry. And it was just mental. And I was like, why is it taking so long? And to be honest, didn't know much about DevOps, but thought, ah, yeah, this needs to be fixed. uh, So we can kind of release more quickly and really kind of related that to the way we do Salesforce projects, because that's all I knew really, and kind of looked at it in a point of it you're just kind of mapping a process so and it's the same thing we do in Salesforce right so even if you like looking at the opportunity object say it's got a number of stages you move through the stages you can measure the amount of time you're at these each of these stages uh, and you want to understand why opportunities get stuck in the process uh, and things like that and actually DevOps is just exactly the same pretty much it's just you've got this change that is going through a load of steps to get into production and why is it stuck at these different stages how long is it taking to kind of go through that process and just kind of for me thinking in kind of that salesforce way made a lot of sense when kind of streamlining the devops process Um, and as i kind of progressed through that thinking, then I started learning more about DevOps and actually a lot of the DevOps concepts I could still kind of relate back to, you know, developing on the Salesforce platform. And sure. Is there any, a lot any of companies that, stick that just want
0: Yeah. Any that stick out Well, it's things like, you know, you,
1: you, yeah, so like, so like when you're looking at like that sales process, it's people, you know, they want to get more efficient in the way they're yeah you know, through that process. So the, the timing, you know, the lead to sale time, for example, or, or the the and and it's and looking at how long it takes a lead to progress into a sales opportunity. For me, was the same thing as going okay, looking at the DevOps process. How long does it? And I actually, made a mistake when I first did this. I all these requirements were coming in from the business and going into the backlog. And I was measuring it from the time somebody requested something to when it actually went into production. And, and actually, I realized that was kind of the wrong measurement to measure that. It was really when it, the, the piece of work was decided that we're going to work on it and then timing it from there because some backlog items could be there for years and never worked on because the business didn't prioritize them so for me it was kind of measuring actually how long for each piece of the the DevOps process things we're taking. What is our current state? Where are our bottlenecks? So from, from the initial, yes, we're going to work on this. How long does it take to actually get a full user story completed with acceptance criteria and really kind of fleshed out? Then the design process, how does that take How long take? Then how does the actual development work take? And how long does the testing work take? And then based on that whole process, well, where are the bottlenecks? Where is their kind of work waiting to be done? Which again, I kind of related back to an opportunity, like it's waiting to be approved. Oh my God, we've got all these opportunities. There's hundreds of opportunities <laughs> waiting to be approved. Why is that? Oh, it's because there's only one person approving it and he's really, really you know, busy. Uh, and so actually we need to kind of, that is a constraint in the system. In the same way in the DevOps process, you can have these constraints. And and I don't know if you talked about if you talked about the kind of the theory of constraints before. I haven't listened to all your podcasts so far.
0: We haven't gone down theory of constraints Um, yet. Enlighten us.
1: Yeah, yeah. So the theory of constraints was kind of um, been around for a while. It kind of I think it start in in manufacturing Uh, and it really kind of the theory is basically any improvements to any part of the system other than the constraint will not yield any significant benefit. And it's basically kind of saying that, OK, say we've got our opportunities stuck in approvals. You could improve everything before and everything after. But the constraints still there, that's still your bottleneck, right? So yeah. the work is still getting stuck at this point, And therefore, you're never going to improve the process. So you've got to identify where the bottleneck is and where this constraint is, and just try and resolve that constraint as well as you can so that the work flows through um, better. So, you know, making sure that that approver has got all the information they need to approve it and they're not having to go back and ask for more information. And in the DevOps world, it could be the same thing the testers can't test it because the exception, the, the, um, acceptance criteria on the user story wasn't complete enough for them to actually do any testing properly. So it's really kind of for me, the first phase was going, Okay, let's map out that whole DevOps value stream and see where all the bottlenecks and how long things were going to take. And then I could start going, Well, is it a per you know, is it individual people do we need more capacity on development or testing? Or is it actually a tooling problem? Actually, we're not getting the visibility of all these changes going through, or having we're having to back out work, and that's really timely and takes a lot of time to back the work out of the release because everything's just completely un- intertwined. We haven't really got a great release process for understanding what change is related to what. Um, so, yeah,
0: number no, one, what's...
1: understanding. Yeah,
0: yeah. So what's it, so what, when we look at constraints then? What were the ones that you identified early on, and is there any constraints that come up more commonly? And then, once you do identify those, how do you decide? Because there's bound to be multiple constraints in in a DevOps process. You know that's something that yeah. we look at a lot. It's, yeah, it's not just going to be one thing holding you back. It's it it might be some part of the testing, or it might be some part of the branching strategy is not quite working, or or what have you. When yeah. you look at those constraints, how do you how do you Prioritize, prioritize it. Because have talked about prioritizing user stories and a background, Yeah, so how do I you think, prioritize constraint?
1: So for me, it is which one is going to give the most value. Yeah. So which one is going to street? Because you could Yeah, you can end up with like a load of different constraints, right? In in the process, but. It's really kind of identifying it based on why I did it initially. Is where is that built-up work appearing? So if you're using Kanban, for example, to to manage your work, is there a load of work sitting in testing? Um, and also, what I found was people were released, based on the sandbox strategies. People were releasing all these changes into test, I suppose, but because there's such a backlog on testing that the, the some of the releases were kind of interfering with other testing yeah and the integration kind of testing wasn't really mature enough i suppose so there was a lot of backwards and forwards happening yeah with tests just being failed and flying back and 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 really kind of understanding that we needed to kind of almost get there's a concept of one piece flow, almost where you're making one change, it's going all the way through the system, it's tested, everything's lovely, and you push it into production, and you do the same again, it's almost one piece at a time, almost. It's obviously, that's the goal, but it's hard to get there, right? Um mm, generally, you know, it's more of a utopian goal, I think, in my opinion, than anything else, but making sure the dependencies of other work kind of aren't conflicted. Um, But also, it was kind of like, well, understanding if the right things are going through, I suppose, and actually, I think we had a bit of a a thing where it's kind of death by backlog, I suppose, where there's loads of changes in there, and it was really just, every sprint, it was like, okay, what the things are the most you know, things that the people are shouting about the most, let's do those versus what is the ones that are going to give the best value for the business. So it was a little bit of that where actually even just the choice of the user stories was was wrong, I I suppose. Um, And wasn't, we're doing lots of work, but it wasn't meaningful and impactful to the business, I suppose, as much as it could be. So we kind of focus, focus on that as well. So
0: so as an architect then looking at these processes we start to talk a little bit about business value and something that is critical as part of an architect's role is to help deliver business value right and yeah how how when you were in this situation and looking to improve that process how do you how do you balance those process improvements to help you then be able to deliver more meaningful work and take that to the business and then reprioritize those things.
1: I think there's always a little bit of a, a challenge where you've got the business wanting all this business change, right? And you knowing that the DevOps process has needs to be improved, right? And there's this kind of trade off, but then the business doesn't see the value of DevOps. It's always really quite hard to see, well, you're gonna, spend a sprint just sorting out devops well that's no value to us and so it's kind of really demonstrating that actually as part of the sprint we're gonna we're gonna dedicate 10 or 15 percent of that sprint to learning and improving that devops process be it just in education or or making sure the right information is on the user stories to actually going actually just the packaging and pushing changes into environments is really challenging and takes a long time. Is there a way we can do this in tooling to kind of speed up the process? Um, but also kind of going, you know, actually teaching them all of like an educational thing of, you know, things take a long time in this, in this. You know, what's the art of the possible almost, or art of the actual? You know, this is what could the, the, what good looks like. Uh, And actually we can get there and it is going to be a journey uh, and we need to dedicate some time to it. But once we get that, look at the amount of changes we can make, you know, really quickly. Um, I think when we started going down this journey, they slowly kind of cottoned on and figured out that actually, are there when they were doing the user acceptance testing, there was less issues with those, you know, and less problems that they have to go, well, actually it's missing this and we asked for this. And so they could see actually things going a lot more smoothly through the system. And as things didn't need to be pushed out of the sprint or pushed out of the release and things like that, it made our lives a lot easier because things were going all the way through to the end and not having to be pulled out, um, which is always really painful. (laughs) Yeah,
0: absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but it's also like it's,
1: yeah, it's just
0: it's like they slow slow down to go faster. Right? That's yeah, it's quite, exactly. quite hard for a business leader to go Oh, I don't I, I don't want it. it's counterintuitive to be stopping. Um but if we sit there and look at it a little bit more objectively and then what can start to be yeah. achieved that you know that's a that's a real real success story. I think story. the
1: measurement really helped because it was like you I could I could see and actually getting that visibility of actually like I did a bit of due diligence and kind of like worked, to really kind of figure out, what is our process for release? And I found that a release needed, I think it was like 17 sign offs for the release. Uh, And I actually asked, like there was one that was basically the CEO of the business unit that had to sign off the release. And I said, do you, what's the reason why you need to sign this off? And he said, I have no idea. You know, if you sign it off, I, I'm trusting you that you know what you're doing because you're an architect. Therefore, you know what i so I based on you signing off, I sign it off. So like, there's no need for that CEO to sign it off. Right. Uh, and so really kind of looking at that process and asking the question, why, 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 and figuring it out so that you can kind of really streamline it, but even just get that base metrics of like, it's taken two weeks just to get those 17 people to sign it off. Just cutting that down to four people or five people, that's still crazy, but it saves us a week, you know, <laughs> in release yeah. time, just that, yeah? And you don't know that until you start kind of unpicking the process, especially in a large, large organisation where things get fired over the fence and it's not that kind of, that high-performance, agile team with everybody kind of working together. It's a little harder to see it without, you know, kind of really digging into it.
0: Absolutely. You touched on spending or dedicating x amount of time in a sprint to looking at a devops process or devops related activities whether that be looking at looking at the process itself mm. or education tell me a little bit about the education side of things then because devops is still a relatively new thing in a lot of organizations and a lot of salesforce teams you know the release of devops center Going GA recently is going to be a bit more of a catalyst for people wanting to learn these things. So from an education standpoint, as an architect or a leader of a Salesforce team, where do you see the most important bits of education coming coming from?
1: I think I think it's 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 that thing where the So I've seen it in a number of different organisations Like I've worked in, I worked in an organisation where they kind of hired all the gurus, cloud gurus to build out their cloud strategy, but then realised that it was just the constraint became that team. Yeah, because they were the only people that knew how to do AWS or Azure, you know, uh, deployments or build architectures within it. And to actually properly scale out as an organization, they had to train people, train people their staff up into this new world of thinking. That was the only way you could do it. Um, But also to kind of get that to really for the business to understand the, the value that it brings. It was also kind of training them in it or even teaching them and bringing them along and actually as part of that devops kind of work we realized actually we need to start thinking of a coe or a center of excellence that could start kind of bringing these best practices together and learning from each other and kind of pushing training out as well and you guys do a great job with your free training uh as well which is um yeah i've used it is, is great um but yeah it's also kind of think um around that kind of Kanban and and dedicating that time. It was it's it's more there's this um, there's the safe uh, or Safi or whatever to call it the scalable agile um, approach to um, doing work. Uh, And even in that it has a this concept of there's um, different types of work that come into the Your Kanban board, or or, or as part of your kind of program of work, and it's not just the kind of the business change. It's also all those um, architectural uh, and technical kind of epics, I suppose, that the business doesn't see. So things like you know, in the traditional world, it might be moving from an Oracle database to a SQL database, you know, architecture because it's a lot cheaper, or whatever it may be. You know, the business isn't seeing any value in it, but there's a value in reducing the cost and so um, really kind of demonstrating that 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 those 15 and 20 15 or 10 to 15 percent of those sprints are going to be de- um dedicated to improving the value of that devops stream and that it's measurable so we know that actually yeah we know this takes this amount of time and we've only got the capacity of these n- n- uh, number of user stories generally or these user story points throughout the kind of flow because of these limitations where actually our aim is to increase the story points um, per sprint, for example, based on, you know, streamlining the the testing process or streamlining the release process so that those people working that piece can actually do more uh, and therefore can get get more work done. But and this is what I kind of love about agile and, and agile. If you're measuring it, you know, literally two weeks, you've kind of seen the benefit of it. Yeah. Uh, And you've kind of measured a current current state, measure the, hey, what happens in 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 react once it goes live, those changes. And then you can prove back, hey, we can deliver more now. We can run quicker now. Um, And when the business sees that, they can kind of measure that back to a kind of an ROI of, of why they're doing it. And to be honest, that's exactly the same In the Salesforce world you know you want to be measuring you know I'm making this business transformational change I'm putting this business process into Salesforce to save time or efficiency or whatever it may be and we've measured that and now we can prove that that's been really successful Uh, and if not doing that time and time again then what's the point you know Uh, it does take more effort but it really just shows value on, on what you're doing. And for for an individual as well, I love it because I can say, well, actually, yeah, I've grown the business by this or I've helped the developers not get completely kind of the pain of merging. Co, you know branches together and everything going horrible and oh my god there's flows that have been changed the same flow has been changed on multiple streams oh my <sighs> god what are we doing now you know and that kind of craziness <laughs> that you get in the salesforce world um and just making it easier basically for people
0: yeah i think as as you've been talking about process mapping and thinking about it as as a devops process so I used to be in sales before I entered uh, I entered the, oh, the right. realm of what I do now. So as a salesperson, I'm very familiar with sales processes and something that I think an admin, especially if they're working on Salesforce, mm. will have experience in is helping build and design a sales process based on what sales ops want or exactly, the yeah. VP of sales or, or what have you. And when I think about... Metrics. So we've spoken about like lead time for a change for a user story to move through Mm. uh, the Kanban board and through to the end and out into production. If we think about that from a sales process perspective, we're talking about what the deal cycle time is. So a deal takes 20 20 days from lead to closed one. Or close lost. Negotiation or close won or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. And I think about the sales processes that I've worked in, you can't move that particular opportunity to the next stage in its Kanban lifecycle, whether that's licensing and negotiation or pre approval or contract negotiation, whatever it might be. This is where you have like validation rules. So if you think about a DevOps process and helping folks understand what that looks like if they've never looked at DevOps process it's like you say you have a validation rule an opportunity that it can't be moved until you have x information or x fields filled out um it's the same kind of thing with the DevOps you can't move that you can't move you can't move 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 that user story until it's got the acceptance criteria tested etc etc which is something that I think is relatable
1: yeah, completely. Or and it's also like this. understanding, you know, what information you need at what step of the way. Yeah. So it might be that this is like one of the things we kind of instituted early on was the type of change. Yeah. And how risky that type of change is. And based on that type of change, then what information do you need for it? Yeah, so because it's an integration. Oh, okay. we've now got to bring security into it and they've got to do their piece of work Uh, and who is doing that work? And have they signed, you know, is they are they part of that sign off? And, And that that is kind of really you know pushing everything left, getting people aware of that early on so that we've identified that up front. And you've got that recorded on your user story that security know about this or there's somebody been assigned there to review that piece of work rather than, you know, they don't need to review a report, because obviously, it's all within the platform, and everything's great, or, or not necessarily. So, um yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of yeah validation rules, making sure the information is there based on the information you've got on that user story, the approvals are kind of earlier on in the process, if you can, to then help it further on. Uh, but also kind of, again, that push left mentality of getting the information up front and, and doing like, you know, running code analysis, if you're developing, running that code analysis early on, uh, so it doesn't have to get to testing to find out those issues. Um, uh, And again, yeah, just making sure that kind of process is all upfront. And also those kind of workflow rules of those notifications that kind of, you know, even even just capturing where what's the impact of that change to different stakeholders in the org yeah Uh, so that you know when you're kind of targeting the training and those changes that it's targeted at the right groups of people so they're not overloaded with hey here's a list of all the user stories that we've done we've released and the you know user story 18324 and that's it is completely meaningless almost to them <laughs> you know and, and making sure that that kind of piece is there as well which then drives the adoption which then improves that stats uh, and and the usage of it and therefore you can kind of increases the value and and you kind of get the whole kind of picture working together
0: absolutely one last point on metrics. We've spoken about lead time for changes. Is there anything else that you see as imperative that you can measure to take back to those business stakeholders, or something that you found is particularly impressive or useful for them?
1: So, in what in the, in the DevOps world, or in the, just the Salesforce world, <laughs>
0: when it comes to the Salesforce the delivery of Salesforce and so I I how like how they measure I success.
1: Like, yeah. So one of the things is so I like it's two parts really. One is I use, it, it's kind of, you can do do it to a point, but using the Salesforce, like Shield Analytics and things like that to see actually if you people are using the features and the functionality you've, re, you've released. So there's one like actually looking at a system point of view of actually, are you actually benefiting based on people using it, uh, but also measuring it on the, the, the user front, user kind of end of, Actually was it beneficial to the to them? Is Salesforce vital for their job and this feature vital or not uh, and actually measuring again if uh, what the team is doing is actually valuable or not, yeah even at kind of very kind of high level uh, and also are they are they seeing improvements in so this release OK, how many times do you have to go back to the team to go? Actually, this didn't work or this wasn't quite right or and that backwards and forwards. And and even if they are going backwards and forwards a lot, a lot is their perception that we are delivering good work. Yeah, so it's sometimes it's like actually they could be going backwards and forwards a little, you know, a few times, but actually all, they all got resolved and everything was pushed in everything's Great. Yeah, because that's going to happen anyway. And actually, they're happy with that because they were listened to, you know. They got those answers, you know. They got that those problems solved, and everything was fine. Or it might be that you're just not tracking the fact that we're not engaging with the users. The stuff we keep on, you know, pumping out isn't a value to them. Or they have commented on things, but it hasn't hasn't been logged anywhere. It has not been tracked, and we're actually not helping them at all, really, because they're just thinking that we're just ignoring them. Right? Um, I think there was one. And, and kind of really engaging with the users. So I think there was one, one we started kind of making things more and more transparent, you know, identifying super users, going, hey, look, do you want to work in the dev team to kind of see how we work so you can help us get better user stories and get a better process through? And I think it was quite evident early on that somebody, I remember we did a workshop and somebody came up and was saying, oh, you know, it'd be, it'd be great if, you know, we could just have and it was literally really simple. It was fields that were in a two layout column. Yeah, and it was a big text field that was in a two layout common. And it was all kind of really small and she had to scroll to fill all that text. And she said, oh, it'd be great if you could go the whole width of the screen. Literally, it was just moving the field to a you know, one column layout on the page layout. And that was it, right? But she didn't even ask for it because she thought that she wouldn't be listened to or it would be too hard to do. So she didn't even request it yeah, because the perception was everything that you tried to do in Salesforce was too hard and I'm not listened to. Um, But actually going, no, actually, yes, we can do that. We'll get it in. It's really quick for us. And we'll put it into the the backlog and actually showing the users bit like Salesforce do of going, these are requests we've had from you, the users, and we've deployed them. Thank you, yeah, um, and actually, yeah, and that kind of piece of of the DevOps again, tagging that as it's come from a user, it's not come from the business, uh, and we're actually add knowing we're adding value to those users, uh, a, a kind of ground zero, I suppose, of actually, yeah, them using it, uh, and also in the yeah in the DevOps world, you've got the DORA metrics, right? So, um, which again, if you kind of look at them as a kind of very some of them are quite similar to a sales process, and you know, time to you know, to release and things like that. So again, there's quite a lot of kind of nearer mirror, mirroring of of you know, Salesforce processes and DevOps processes, really, and the way you kind of handle it.
0: Yeah, yeah. Users are ultimately who we're doing doing this all for, right? So there's exactly, absolutely, yeah. absolutely, absolutely argument for having them involved in providing that bit of visibility into into what is. Is capable. I think uh, as a lot, a lot of sales, yeah. sales folks or service folks are using the platform every day. They just go, "This is how it works." Some mis- mystic team has created these things for us, and yeah, you know, it. this, is, not, just it, this is just how it, this is just how it works. <laughs> you know, um, uh, obviously, a huge part of DevOps is that feedback loop and feedback cycle. So yeah. those users are imperative to to being successful there. Uh, Francis, I really appreciate your time I was just getting and getting check- to
1: understand how long things take. But yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Francis, I really appreciate your time and chatting to us uh, about uh, the Kanban methodologies and looking at it yeah, relating to good. DevOps. And where can folks find out more about what you offer? If this is where people's appetite for maybe looking more at architecture and things like that, where can we find you?
1: Yeah, so uh, you can head uh, if you can follow me on LinkedIn. So just find my name. My name is pretty unique. So you can link to me <laughs> on LinkedIn or head to uh, admin with information on there and I'll be releasing a new um, architecture foundation course I- in January as well. So uh, if you're interested in that, yeah, keep your eye out for that or just follow me. I'll be uh, announcing that in due course.
0: Amazing stuff. Francis, thank you once, once again. Really appreciate your time. And thank you to all the listeners that have made it to the end of this podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, be sure to give it a rating, uh, like, subscribe, all that good stuff. And I will see you again on another episode very shortly. Thank you very much, everybody. Francis, thank you for your time.